I would say I'm not used to that work. Hello and welcome to the SES Research Podcast Nianza. In our very first episode, I'll be throwing my old Irish questioner or questions at Christina Cleary. We talk about medieval lovesickness and how this could prove fatal to men and how she stepped up to her professor one day to ask him, how do I get your job? And we also talk about how medieval folk were brilliant scholars. Enjoy. Today, in our very first episode of our very own podcast, I have the pleasure of welcoming uh, welcoming Christina Cleary, who is an O'Donovan scholar um, uh, like myself at the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies uh, at the School of Celtic Studies, and uh, who is a dub. I feel it's important to mention that (laughs) on our first episode. (laughs) Yeah, very good. Welcome, Christina. How are you? Um, I'm grand, I'm grand, Nika. A little bit nervous, but uh, I'm glad to be the guinea pig for this uh, podcast series. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely, I suppose, um, shared nerves are also half the nerves, like a shared burden. So (laughs) that should work out all right today. (laughs) I hope. I think so too. too. Excellent. Well, um, as you know, in this podcast, uh, I will be shooting medieval Irish questions at you, starting on kesht, which is actually the medieval Irish word for question, uh, and which was a, a, a strategy medieval Irish monks used as well. So I feel we're in good company. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I suppose uh, we'll start with an easy question just to, you know, get into the flow of things. Um, so the first question is Kesht uh, What is your name and what brought you here? Okay, well, I hope we don't have to answer in old Irish <laughs> <laughs> No, you're grand I think our audience would be very limited if we started doing that <laughs> Okay, grand Okay, well, my name is Christina Cleary or Christina Nee Cleary, depending on who I'm talking to um, or if I'm getting packages sent to me um, and I believe we met briefly a good few years ago, Nico when you were on Erasmus and GCG so. We did indeed, yes uh, It's a small world, the Celtic world so you do tend to meet the people that you end up with later <laughs> so it's a good thing very if you true. like them <laughs> yeah it's yes. very true yes. and uh yeah so I'm, I'm very glad to be working with you now in the institute Mika um and uh and that we're, we're together again <laughs> that's that's uh, likewise entirely likewise yeah <laughs> um because you're very passionate about your work and it's it's infectious so great to be back oh thanks um, in case you're confused now, this is not actually a PR podcast about me, but I do really <laughs> thank Christina for the kind words, especially in our first episode, which will uh, get me through it. <laughs> I haven't been paid to say these things. 
but I am going on a holiday to the Caribbean. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> going on a golf trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I studied early and modern Irish in Trinity for my undergrad, for my BA. And I loved it. So mm. I came for the modern Irish and stayed for the old Irish. Right. Because I suppose that's the way most people would come across medieval Irish. Or would you be um, seeing any medieval Irish when you're in school in Ireland? Just to clarify, I'm Dutch. So I don't actually know what you guys do in school. Um, so would, would anyone see medieval Irish before they go to university? or? No. Well, when I was doing the Leaving Cert, for though, for though, you did a component for the Irish exam that was about Starna um, mm. So there you did a little bit about uh, all inscriptions and about the manuscript tradition and this sort of thing. But it wasn't very in-depth and it was a very right. small part of the paper. So I couldn't say that that was what inspired me to go on to right. study Old Irish. Um, what inspired me was the course itself when I was in right. there. So there was a little bit of luck involved in in my career path yes (laughs) and you were already intrigued by modern Irish uh, by the sound of it so yeah did you what did you like about that I just love the language um I was always interested in languages and but I I never I never really got languages properly until I started in Trinity so um when in the first semester uh we learned how to parse and you know goody yeah (laughs) (laughs) which was a huge skill that i i didn't know existed and acquiring it helped me to learn languages i think maybe even people who listen to this podcast like i don't even know if anybody's listening but if people are listening (laughs) who don't know what parsing is could you briefly explain that yeah so parsing is where you take a sentence and for every single word in the sentence you assign its grammatical function so if it's a noun or a verb or or whatever, um, don't we won't go too deep into that. And <laughs> so you assign its grammatical function and its meaning. And obviously you need to understand how the grammar works. But grammar is, uh, you know, and it's something that people hate. But it's full of rules, and those rules make make sense out of the language Mm. uh, um, and well help you to make sense out of the language and once you know them and know how to parse you can string together that sentence Um, and as I say that's a a skill that you can apply to every language Mm. once you know how to do it Um, but it was something that I only learned in my first year in Trinity so right yeah yeah so it's massive excellent and then you saw old Irish and you fell in love I fell in love and yeah. what made you decide that old Irish was actually way cooler than modern Irish apologies to the <laughs> Gwildoc <laughs> community uh, I, I don't know where to start <laughs> um I think well I just fell in love with manuscripts uh, the work that went into manuscripts the historical mm. value of manuscripts um, and the stories that are in them um, they're very unlike anything that I'd ever come across before right. um, and the language itself was just so intriguing intriguing and so unlike anything I'd I'd done before mm. that I fell in love straight away um, and uh, yeah, I also had really inspiring lecturers. Mm. 
Um, and I think that makes a really that makes a big difference in your it learning does, experience, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and they were really enthusiastic for the subjects, and it was like your passion for your subject. Uh, their teaching, the way they taught, was infectious. You know, their love for the subject was infectious, yeah, yeah. and it was very unlike anything that I'd seen before in a classroom situation. Was this enthusiasm and passion? You know? Oh yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of cool as well that your love started with the physical object that contained yeah. these uh, these stories, which is quite an important aspect to our job, actually. But sometimes you forget about that because you're so involved in trying to figure out the grammar of the text mm. and the the weird verb forms that you find that the actual object is quite enchanting in itself. And of course, you were in Trinity, and Trinity has a fantastic library. Um, yeah full of medieval manuscripts would any of your classes have taken you there would you have yeah. been allowed to go and see them <laughs> well under supervision yes yes <laughs> obviously yes obviously. <laughs> don't try this at home disclaimer <laughs> exactly um so that was one of the major benefits of studying in trinity was having the library right there right outside of your classroom at uh, the old library and the first thing they did in first year was bring us over oh, to excellent yeah. yeah and then that same year um Jürgen Udish who taught sources of early Irish literature um at the time and still does actually <laughs> um <laughs> uh he also brought us to the academy the Royal Irish Academy to see uh the to see Lever Nehidra so that we could see the tone and so that we could understand where our text was coming from yes. and like you say the physical manuscript itself yeah, the yeah. importance of it and and the and libraries that house them. How old would these manuscripts be that you would go and see? So 11th and 12th century. Mm. They were uh, stuff. It was to have a look at these kind of pre-Norman manuscripts. Yeah. Lovely, yeah. Of which I'm... there were only three. But yes. <laughs> we thought two out of three. <laughs> That's a pretty good score. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure we'll be talking much more about manuscripts in this podcast at some stage because one of our colleagues Chantal Koval who's the Bergen fellow at the yeah. institute is actually specialized in uh, manuscripts and the way they're made uh, and conserved and actually cataloged and all that so I'm sure we'll talk much more about that so this is kind of a I don't know it's not really a cliffhanger but it's a <laughs> it's something to keep you interested yeah. uh, <laughs> So when you, you found out this wonderful subject, did you know straight away that you wanted to make your life's work out of it, as it were? And, and did you have a plan or did you just... I actually, I didn't have a plan, but I knew that I wanted to stick with it mm. because it was something that gave me great confidence. Um, oh, that's and very good. Yeah, and I felt really at home with the subject and I actually had a sense of belonging. Um, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. So yeah, yeah. Warm, fuzzy feelings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember uh, someone once asked me how I came to do Celtic studies in the Netherlands, because it's obviously also, you know, not the most obvious choice. And I remember telling people that I went to one of the trial classes that Utrecht University would hold with uh, Bart Jaski, who is now the keeper of manuscripts at Utrecht University Library. 
And I just said I had butterflies in my stomach when I heard them talk about the subject. And everybody thought it was really weird. But I'm glad you're <laughs> you're now referencing warm and fuzzy feelings because that's actually <laughs> exactly it. Yeah. Well, old Irish enthusiasts are a strange bunch. They yeah. are indeed. <laughs> yes. And I feel we're allowed to say it because we yeah. are part of the bunch. So <laughs> yeah. as part of the in-group, we're allowed to you know, <laughs> say that. <laughs> Nobody else can flag us, but we can. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, to answer your question, I uh, I didn't know where I was going to go with it because uh, um, I don't have any academics in my family. And mm. uh, um, so I didn't know how you got from being where I was in first year in my undergrad to being like somebody like Damien McManus mm. and uh, <laughs> who's uh, the professor at Trinity College just <laughs> yeah. for uh, those of you who don't know him <laughs> exactly so at the time he was the head of the Irish department and he was he held the chair of early Irish at Trinity and uh, and he still flags me for this this is a very long time ago when I asked him <laughs> at the end of a class one time it's like Damien how do I get your job <laughs> <laughs> very good <laughs> but that's the way to do it really because um both of us I, I'd say are quite involved in um women in academia and how to improve you know the number of women that are actually yeah. in academia and it's sometimes very hard to uh, sort of get the courage together to actually ask your professor so how do I get where you are but yeah. that's kind of the only way to find out really <laughs> absolutely and I didn't know when I was 18 years, years old that this was the kind of a taboo thing to ask a professor um, <laughs> you know, because as I said this is uh, I I'd no idea about academic yeah. life and mm. uh, <laughs> what was respectable to ask and what wasn't yeah. and to me that was a perfectly respectable question <laughs> well I've done it as well Christina so okay, uh, I, I feel you I also come from a family that has had no, no to very few academics so I didn't have a clue yeah. either but thankfully there's always people around you who kind of go hmm have you considered yeah. this and you're like ah oh. <laughs> I Absolutely. didn't know that was actually a thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think you set your line of intention as well when you say to one of your mm. mentors, this is this Very is what true. I want to do. I want to be like you. Yes. How do I do that? Yeah. And they take note then yes. that, that this is what you want to do. And yeah. if you have potential to, uh, you know, move up, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll help you along with that. So. Yeah. It is important. Yeah, very, very important. Okay, so we got our first <laughs> feminist episode. <laughs> I'm sure there will be much more, but that's what you get when you get the two of us to do the first episode. So. <laughs> but I'm kind of surprised it came up within the first uh, sort of uh, know, five, yeah. ten minutes. <laughs> good going. Okay, so we're moving on. So uh, it's good to know what kind of brought you here. You didn't have a plan, but you asked Damien. So, you know, how do I get where you are? And he... Yeah probably enlightened you and then you went on to do a PhD I think I did so I like I actually it's it's mortifying to me now but I followed I tried to follow <laughs> Damien's framework or what Damien had done uh in his career to get <laughs> where he was so as the as a nipper coming out of my undergrad I said to myself I said well Damien McManus went to Germany I should go to Germany. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, I went and I learned a bit of German and I, I went to Marburg, uh, mm. Philips University in Marburg, and I did a two-year master's there. 
Um, and that was great because I got to do a whole heap of other Celtic languages that I hadn't studied before. Um, I did uh, some Middle Welsh, Middle Breton, and even some Celtiberian inscriptions, ooh, which was ooh, exciting. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bits of words and not full words. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, and, but I kept up my old Irish because I knew that's what, that was the path I wanted to go down and ended up then coming back to Trinity to do my PhD. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, but I was told what to do. I was told that if I wanted to continue on an academic career path, this is what I should do. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and that it would, you would need to take those steps to open doors for yourself later on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So now we get to the really interesting stuff. What was the topic of your PhD? All right. Well, the topic of my PhD was very different to my current project, actually. <laughs> um, and I know some some people kind of scratch their heads about how I came to my current project, but my uh, PhD was in two parts. The first part was a study of these uh, stories relating to the Tom Bocunia, uh-huh. um, and uh, this whole series of what they call Rivshgela uh, in Old Irish, um, prefatory tales. Um, and uh, uh, that was part one, and part two was an edition and translation of an old Irish tale called Ashnea Angus, uh, the Dream of Angus, which is a lovely uh, uh, love story. Um, so, if we're talking Tambo Kulinya, we're talking Kulin, mm-hmm. we're talking Isla and Maeve, yeah, I suppose, yeah, most of whom would be known to Irish people, I think. I remember being absolutely flabbergasted when I came to Ireland for the first time as an Erasmus student, uh, thinking Cuchulain was some obscure medieval hero that probably nobody ever heard of, and then finding out all my Irish friends actually knew who he was. (laughs) Yeah, Cuchulain's a big, uh, he's a big figure, and I think he's kind of timeless, and he's been, uh, uh, I think after uh, the revival, his, his image was really brought to the fore again and uh, uh yeah there's the we kind of yeah we know about the town a bit <laughs> yes <laughs> so that's good so i don't think we have to explain a lot maybe about that yeah uh, but your focus was on the ashlinga oingasa yeah so that was the uh, that was what i started with when i when i started my phd because i had begun this edition for my masters but the task was too big for a master's thesis mm. so it, it was uh, um it was a foray into editing and translating it and then i wanted to finish it for my uh complete the thing for my phd yeah um and can you uh, give us a synopsis of the story I can, yeah. Excellent. So, <laughs> With all the juicy uh, bits in, please. We'll do an explicit uh, uh, <laughs> rated content uh, warning for the okay. podcast if necessary. <laughs> no, there's no rude bits in this. Uh, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> no, there is blood, though. There's always okay, blood. Okay, there's always blood in an old Irish story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't have love without death. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a t-shirt printed with that. <laughs> Every good love story has some yes. blood. Um, but um, yeah, so it's about this fellow Angus, or modern Irish Angus. Um, and he is lying in bed one night 
minding his own business when a beautiful maiden appears at the foot of his bed mm. and uh, she's playing this beautiful melodious music on her timpon on this little instrument and he wakes up and sees her and he goes oh my god she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life um, and he goes he goes to reach out his hand to touch her to pull him towards him in the bed okay maybe it is a bit orated in this <laughs> um well I, she, I suppose if she shows yeah. up in the bedroom it might have been part of her intentions but who knows yeah who she might knows? just wanted to play him some nice songs on, his, on <laughs> her tin pan and then went like what are you doing <laughs> buy my cg yes um. <laughs> yeah exactly you have to be forward these days as a singer songwriter i mean yeah medieval yeah. marketing you know yes. um. <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, very personal but anyway so she as he goes to grab her he she pulls away and she disappears and he's devastated but she keeps returning to him driving him mad you know and he becomes extremely lovesick because he can't physically have her mm. um, and so he bit creepy yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah it's a touch of you off it i don't know if you've seen that series on no. netflix <laughs> <laughs> yeah by modern standards this wouldn't be acceptable you know but mm. uh, <laughs> but hey it's medieval Ireland yes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and I'm sure there was a romantic view of love sickness then um as there was until recently I think yes you know? very very yes yeah so um so love sickness in men in these medieval Irish texts normally manifests physically Hmm. you know um women can love men from afar and they'll think about them and spend their days you know wishing they were with them but it doesn't endanger their lives right uh, like it does for men um so uh, uh angus becomes physically ill to the point of nearly dying out of love for this woman the um, poor lad i know god love him like yeah. see this is it like yeah. it's not so creepy <laughs> And his parents notice the doxa and uh, uh, the bone. So these are, you know, your your Boyne Valley deities uh, mm. um, who might be well known as well uh, to people who are listening, if they're listening. Yes. Um, Please and, listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> and so they send people out to search uh, high and low for this maiden so that they can save their son's life. And they can't find her anyway, anywhere. So they go to Alalamedov in or Alalamev um, in Connacht and they say, you know, our son is really sick. We need to find this maiden. And they go, oh, we know where she is. She's in this sheath mound um, down, in, down in Munster. Um, and, uh, but we can't help you because the sheath people, they are out of our hands, you know. Mm. And um, we don't control those people. These are your other world people. They're you know, they control the other world. We don't. Yes. Um, and, but they do provide them with support. So, uh, uh, with military support. So, uh, um, they go down and they ask the maiden's father if they can have the maiden for their son. And he says, absolutely not. I'm not giving my daughter to the son of the Dagsa. No way mm. in hell. And mm. they go, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, be that way. But we are getting our own way in the end. And uh, they destroy the sheaths. They behead all the uh, all the people inside it. 
and take the father captive. Um, intense response. Um, intense re- yes. response, yeah. yeah. The whole <laughs> beheading thing. As I say, no love without death. Um, yes. <laughs> and a lot of it. <laughs> and a lot of it. Yes. But when they take the father, his name is uh, Ethel Anvil, and they take the father hostage, and he says to them, I have no control over my daughter, what she does. See, bit of, a little bit of feminism. Um, nice. Very <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah. And he goes, so you have to go to her. Go to her at Stone and ask her, uh, can can you be with her and mm. see what she says. You do think, um, couldn't he have sort of mentioned that before they started to chopping off? <laughs> I know. <laughs> the whole like, sheath mount. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then maybe the story wouldn't have as much blood as, uh, you know, as we'd need. They needed to work it in somehow yes, into yeah. the story. Mm. Yeah. Um. So uh, so Angus goes to the lake, and this lake is called Lochbeil Dragon, the Lake of the Mouth of the Dragon. So, uh, just a great name, I think. Mm. And um, and he goes to her, and he says, "Uh, come here to me. I love you." And she <laughs> goes, "Who's calling me?" Um, all nonchalant, like she doesn't know who this guy is. And uh, he goes, it's Angus, uh, and I love you. And she's like, all right, fine enough, uh, well enough then. And um, but the thing is, uh, it comes with a, a a bit of a caveat. So this maiden spends every second year in the form of a swan. Mm. Um, so uh, so he, when he goes to her, he embraces her, and he becomes a swan also. And then Aww. they live out their days together. And so it is actually slightly feminist as a story because yeah. the, he gives in to her and he enters her world and takes her form so that he yeah. can be with her. That's a great story to edit. And while you were editing, did you find anything that you weren't expecting or maybe that people before you would have looked at differently or maybe translations that you thought needed updating or yeah a couple of small things that um uh, I don't know if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of it <laughs> I don't know just give me uh, give us a couple of uh, interesting tidbits that you think are worthy of uh, you know the world to know or that you just found really interesting when you were working on it Okay, well, one thing that I found really interesting was this motif of uh, of the the love and absence, and mm. uh, um, it's something that has been researched before, but um, it's really brought out in this tale. Um, and as I said, the difference between a man being lovesick versus a woman being lovesick, mm. and you see this lovesickness as well in another early Irish tale, um, uh, Gaidhainne, mm. um uh where. Aedine, who's who's super beautiful, um, has a similar effect on on another male character, and right. uh, um, who also becomes ill because he's not able to physically touch her and mm. to uh, quote unquote unite with her. Right. If you get me. Yes. Well. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> not a clue what you're talking about, Christina. Yeah. Okay, no. <laughs> Just well. Kidding. You can't always have what you want, which is what you learn from Tucker on you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the case of Ashling at Angus, uh, I think there was, uh, uh, yeah, an agreement there that they actually, they did both 
they both wanted to be together um mm. <laughs> you know and it's interesting because the the love in absence or the amor in absentia is a wider european motive as well right so you mm. find it in other medieval literature all across europe you do yeah, yeah. and even some of the arthurian tales i think and uh, <sighs> and it's it's amazing because we, i don't know if you found this with prose texts uh early irish literature Nikia, but there's there's not a lot of expressions of emotion in mm. uh early irish literature uh you know they'll put a lot of time into describing the color and texture of somebody's cloak yes um, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but not, uh, you know, happiness or sadness or love. Um, mm. Rather, these are expressed through acts and states, yes. you know, yeah. um, and that's something that you come across in Ashlinga Aungasa. Yeah, excellent. So that was your PhD. Yeah. Which sounds very cool uh, and slightly feminist, if we may say so, which is also <laughs> very cool. Well done, those medieval people. Um, but now... You're working on a new project at Dias, and you were saying yeah. that it's very different from uh, what you were doing in your PhD. Uh, so what what is it you're doing now? Yeah, so uh, when I was doing my PhD, I was working on this one manuscript for a very long time, for years. Um, and it's a 16th century manuscript. So uh, as you know yourself, Nika, often we find really old tales in manuscripts that are a lot younger mm, so uh, yes. um in the 16th century manuscript there's some tales that were written in the 9th or 10th century um which some of which only survive in this manuscript so for me it's really important it's called uh it's got the catchy name of edgerton 1782 and i spent a lot of time with it and after i finished my phd i really wanted to edit the whole manuscript so that it would be available for people to read to read at the book you know mm. um and i came across the text that i'm working on now which of course i knew it existed but i didn't realize it it still required a lot of work um so what i'm working on now is the commentary to uh, an old irish text called the avra gullum Kille, so Ooh. the eulogy of Cullum Kille. yes which was recently re-edited uh, by jacopo bizani in a volume i'll just do a little plug here if you forgive <laughs> plug, me plug plug yes <laughs> that was recently published at the institute and you can buy for a very very little money so even students <laughs> might be able to uh, to buy a copy and it's a it's a very impressive edition because the the text itself is i think in the edition about 10 pages but the whole book is about 800 i think oh it's <laughs> so huge. if you need something to get through the christmas break that's definitely a good one but uh, <laughs> anyway <laughs> it's it's huge and as you say it's uh, uh it is great that it's that it's available at such an affordable price mm. um because it means that we can all have a copy on our shelves yes and to have a new edition as well because um mm. we've often moaned about this uh, we as scholars that there are so many important old irish texts that have only been edited for the last time in the 19th century or the beginning mm. of the 20th century and they're just they need to be looked at again because yeah. so much progress has been made in the field yeah so uh, but anyway you're working yeah. on the commentary to that text i'm working on the yes. commentary yeah so what so, is a commentary 
so Biafra itself, as we know from Jacobo's book, is mm. very difficult text. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so, and it's said to have been composed by this poet Salon Fortigus, um at at the end of the sixth century, um, for uh, after the death of Columbilla. So, some people refer to Columbilla as Columbus. They might mm. know him as Columbus. Um, and uh, the story goes that when Salon uh, first composed what we call now the introductory prayer, and I'll come back to the Abra in a second, mm. um, to Cullum Killer while he was alive, Cullum Killer told him to stop what he was doing and to, compo- to compose his Avra, his eulogy, um, after his death because it was only appropriate for a dead man. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very modest. Um, <laughs> it is very modest, yes. yeah. But uh, <laughs> I would prefer my praise to be heaped on me while I'm alive. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, and Cullum Killer promised Dalon loads of riches for composing this uh, uh, eulogy, and but Dalon obviously. Uh, being a good a good skin said he wouldn't take the riches but he would indeed take the promise of uh eternal life in heaven all right yeah there's always some reward i know yeah (laughs) see um sure he doesn't need the riches in heaven anyway so (laughs) um but and the thing is uh that anybody who reads the avra is also promised heaven Uh so this is very handy yeah so Mm. it's quite the meal ticket um, and it's the reason why it's important to understand it uh, to, uh, for a medieval scholar to understand it and to recite it, um, you know, because it guarantees your place in heaven. So the caveat was definitely that you didn't just have to read it, but you also had to understand it. <laughs> you couldn't exactly. just get away with reading it out loud and then going, huh. I suppose yeah. that was interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now open the gates, please, dear Peter. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a fairly well-known text, I think, outside of Celtic studies because it's been assigned a really early date. Mm. Um, so uh, there's some people who say it's the first. It, it was the first poem ever written in uh, in Irish. Um, that's that's obviously debatable, but it means that it's gotten a bit of traction outside of Celtic studies. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 Which is actually um, all the more contested now that Jacopo's new book is out because he proposes quite a different date. But if you want to know what, then read the book. <laughs> <laughs> or the maybe book. we'll get him to do an interview with us. Who knows? Oh, that would be even better. (laughs) That would be very cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the commentary then, I take it from your explanation, would be used by people um, or was made to understand this extremely difficult text by scholars reading it. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's it's a text that received a lot of attention by medieval Irish scholars um, and probably from around maybe around the 10th or 11th century. I can't be sure yet because I haven't finished my project. <laughs> Come back to us in two years time. <laughs> yeah, to be continued. Yes. Uh, um, uh, they started to try to disambiguate it because it is, it's like, you know, this text has captivated us um, because of its obscure language. And mm. um, the the order of the words is really quite strange um, and the choice of words is very obscure. So mm. that's that's why we love it. Um, yeah. uh, well, it's also why some of us 
don't love it yes. because <laughs> we like to be able to work on a text that we can translate intelligibly yes, and actually understand yeah 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 and it's yeah. interesting because it's not not only the register of the text that's very difficult in terms of irish words that are used but also because a lot of latin words are used in it so there's yeah. a lot of code switching going on there um, there is and the there's code switching in the commentary as well um on oh yes film. interesting yeah, Ooh, yes. Juicy. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i robert atkinson um who's uh one of the editors an editor of one copy of of mm. of the avra and um, can you just give he, us the date of atkinson because it's probably good to know that he oh that's a good that's a good probably, question what he, date is atkinson's it was it's 19th century is it yeah it's yeah. Uh, so it's an it's, old like he's an old fella <laughs> is yeah it's a long time on the go. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, he he described it as a strange medley of isolated phrases and unintelligent comment, which presents little attractiveness to the editor. Wow. So, <laughs> Scholars yeah. have such an eloquent way of saying, I don't understand what the beep he is on about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they uh, make it sound like it's not their fault. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least I'm glad that uh, Jacobo took on that job anyway yes. so that we yeah. don't we don't have to anymore. true amen to that <laughs> uh, but anyway so uh what they did in the commentary was they took uh sometimes individual words from this obscure text um and assigned definitions to the words using citations often from other texts mm. um a little bit like a historical dictionary now you know yeah. so uh, if if anybody listening is familiar with the dictionary of the Irish language edil online mm. now um it's kind of similar to that you know they give you the word and they say that means xyz here's an example of it in yes. a, in a poem or um might lead to a small a short anecdote yeah. Um, so the commentary is really extensive and it's really <coughs> cool because sometimes it's the only way we actually have those poems because we don't know them from anywhere else and they're only preserved in commentaries because they have that example of this one word that uh, was used exactly. in other texts yeah yeah so they're yeah. a great repository for intertextualness <laughs> that is not a word but uh... <laughs> and it's it's interesting to see as well how obsessed medieval Irish scholars were with words too you know ah, yes. they were just like us um yeah. and uh and they would look into the history of the words and hmm. um and trying and... to find out where it came from uh, yeah. A lot of the time as well by chopping it up into pieces and then trying to find Latin equivalents or Hebrew equivalents or Greek equivalents. Yeah, exactly. They were just yeah. they were doing the same job that we do now. Yeah. They were um, excellent scholars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. And so it's, it's interesting to see as well their interpretation of the text you know as reflected mm. in the commentary yes. um and that's that's worthy of note as well you know mm. um and how because this commentary it's like an onion you know because it was mm. added to over the years yes. um so uh, there is there's a development there and how the text was received and that's worth looking at as well you know yes. um yeah um but yeah and we know it's uh we know that it drew on a load of other texts to explain words in the Avra because it makes direct reference to text outside of it. Yes. So it refers to legal tracts, um, it refers to other uh, other treaties. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of yeah. gives you a glimpse of their library as well, what they would have had 
in front of them to uh, well at their disposal in their studies I suppose so you can sort of reconstruct their the access they had to other texts absolutely yeah that's the and that's what's fantastic about it and the opera itself then was used as a glossorial um text it was the you'll find references to it mm. uh, in other texts yeah um and yeah as you say we we get to see what was in their libraries yes yeah so your project at dias is to are you editing that or are you, what are you doing with it yeah, so I'm editing. Uh, I'm editing that. I'm. I've taken um a couple of the, uh, I call it the later stratum of the commentary mm. because the earlier stratum is better researched. All um, oh, right. Yes. And by better researched, I just mean that it's 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 available. Um, <laughs> um as an edition. Classic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean. The most recent editions of of that already researched uh, mm. area are hundred years old or older. Yes. So in other words, we need more people looking at more things. So if there's any students listening to this, uh, please please feel like you can look at all these things because it's really yeah. it's really necessary and about time that we look at them after a hundred years time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so that is my plan is to edit and translate uh, the later stratum of the okay. commentary. And uh, what I'd really love to do would be, and this is this is part of my project. I'm only in year one of what yes. I'm like nine yeah, months and into it. you as well. I mean, it must be said because you just started at the institute and then Corona happened. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster for it's you. Only two I can and only a half imagine. In. Yeah. yeah, it's mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's devastated. Um, but luckily for me, a lot of my work at the moment is preliminary. <clears throat> excuse me, and it involves transcribing. So, yes. um, this is where online resources are really important mm. too. So, if you say transcribing, what does that mean for a scholar of medieval Irish? Yeah. So that means that um, I have my manuscript image in front of me and a word document and I am I suppose transliterating from the mm. manuscript uh, uh, into using modern typography yes um, yeah. so it's hard to read the manuscripts if you haven't been trained in uh, the insular minuscule that it's written in yeah uh, so if you you can always look at all these beautiful Irish manuscripts on the ISOS website, which is also hosted by Dias. Uh, so isos.dias.ie, I think. Uh, but if if you're not trained in the insert or minuscule, you kind of need someone to transcribe it for you and then yeah. uh, get that next to the manuscript to be able to uh, read the old Irish. And then, of course, you have to translate it as well, the old Irish. Yeah. But, you know... <laughs> Getting that's a whole different kettle one. of fish yeah yeah but uh, i mean that is part of the job is knowing what to expect in the language so that mm. you don't try transcribe gobbledygook so yes. you do actually need to um, yes. know what's there yes. um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. what it should mean yeah. um but uh but yeah that's what's involved and as i say irish script on screen has been fantastic for for all of us during lockdown yes. yeah. and uh it's available free of charge and anybody can use it yeah and it's just, just yeah. even if you just want to look at beautiful medieval objects uh, yeah you can just have a scroll through it uh and you can get them in really good quality as well 
Um, oh, uh, I'd also like to give a shout out to Anne-Marie O'Brien, who is the director of ISOS, uh, while we're doing this plug, because I think she saved our lives during lockdown. Because yeah. I myself as well, I, I went to the Netherlands, which is my home on St. Patrick's Day for a long weekend. And then, of course, lockdown happened. So I've been in the Netherlands ever since, but uh, I still have had access to all the medieval manuscripts that I need. So that's been kind of fantastic. Um, that yeah. is brilliant and yeah. you've no excuse to slack that is less brilliant uh, but yes <laughs> thanks Anne-Marie <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no yeah. no it's been it's I've been very or we've been very lucky that we've been able to work from home uh, in that sense yeah so once you've transcribed it you're going to probably translate it as well where you're kind of doing both at the same time usually uh, sort yeah. of yeah you make a it's kind of necessary yeah. yeah yeah exactly you make a rough translation while you go along but then once that is done so let's say at the end of your project what would your ideal result be will, will it be a book or will it be I don't know a website or what will what, what would you like to do with it well the narcissist Jamie would love a printed book because yeah. <laughs> Um, and also because it's not just narcissism, you know, and book, books. Yeah, but um, it is kind of cool <laughs> to have a book on your shelf with your own name on it. I have to yeah. admit that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, yeah, as long yeah. as we admit that part of ourselves, I think we're grand. <laughs> I think so too. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, physical books and book culture are central to what we do as True. well. Mm. Um, and I still place an awful lot of importance on the physical book uh, yes. in the modern age and the, you know, the kind of the novelty of muscle memory when you read a book mm. that you don't get with the internet. Yeah, um, and being able to scribble things in the margins uh, like exactly. a medieval monk. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and that's how, that's how research grows as well is with physical um, mm. connection to to books you know so yeah. I really would like that um, and I'd also I'm I'm putting it online hopefully to be hosted by the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies um, in the final year I want to make it a searchable database um, and where you have concordances and all this sort oh, of that would fancy be very business. cool yeah, yeah yeah so everyone will be able to have a look at it uh, or will it be open access I think absolutely it will, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah oh very good yeah 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 because there's lovely, like, you might think commentaries are, might be a bit dry because they're explaining words and, you know, just sentence structures or whatever. But they're actually quite cool because they have a lot of weird material in them as well. Uh, yeah, or, I love or the poetry. The poetry, yeah. There's lots yeah. of, like, little quatrains that have been preserved in it. Yeah, um, so you... there's uh, some of my favourites are in there. Yes, um, that was I... my next question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give us your babies. <laughs> my babies, okay. Yes. So like we were talking about earlier, you don't often find descriptions of emotions in mm. early Irish prose, um, but you get glimmers of it in the poetry, you know, yes. um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, characters can be quite stoic, as I say, but um, uh, these poems gives an insight into actual emotions. So there's this one beautiful poem that Cullum Killa utters when he leaves Ireland's shore, shores. Um, and he says, will I read it out in Old Irish? Ah, yeah, well, go for Middle it. Irish, actually. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, people, people from Celtic studies will recognise this poem, but um, it pops up in anthologies all the time, out of context, you know. Right, um, yeah. But anyway, so it's Phil Sool and Lass, Fagas Aaron Darahash, Nakanagsla, Ear of a Thaw, Firu Erin, Nach, 
I'm in the hall. Sorry. Ooh, <laughs> I think that voice. deserves a tiny applause. Because <laughs> I don't want to stress my microphone out. But a uh, tiny applause. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so that means that the grey eye that looks back at Ireland, never hereafter shall it see Ireland's men nor her women. Um, so as I say, depictions of kind of, well, they're not, it's not a direct uh, emotion, but mm -hmm. you can get a, a, yes. a sense of emotion from it. Um, and, and you can see why it would end up in anthologies because it resonates very starkly, I suppose, with Ireland's more modern history as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and emigration. And yeah. emigration is a huge theme in Ireland as an island nation. Um, mm. uh, many of us have had to emigrate for work, for studies, uh, and leaving Ireland is this is exactly how you feel. Yes, <laughs> I will yeah. never again see my countrymen. <laughs> Except everywhere in Boston and Aust <laughs> Australia, probably. But uh, yeah, um, wherever Different you times. go. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they were more sparse in the medieval period, more uh, sparse, I suppose, in the different monasteries on the European continent. This is true. This yes, is true. Yeah, there were no yeah. Irish poets back then. No. <laughs> or were they? Who knows? Oh, Interesting well, topic for a new study. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't make general yeah. generalizations like that. Yeah. <laughs> but another of my favorite uh quatrains ever is from a story that doesn't survive but the the poem survives in the commentary mm. so um this is let me see it's uttered by Grania um who speaks of her love for Dermot's while she's addressing Fionn um right so those would be characters that would be well known to many people as well I suppose uh yeah Fionn yeah. and uh well Fionn McCool Fionn uh, McCool which is yeah the best surname ever uh, every time i explained this to my dutch students they were like no you're you're taking the piss that's not yeah. really his name i was like yes no it is yes. <laughs> so uh this the early irish story from which this poem has been taken doesn't doesn't exist anymore it hasn't survived the test of time oh, wow. um but but we do have this beautiful little quatrain um, we know from later literature from the early modern Irish period um, that Grania was promised to Fionn McCool, um, but eloped with her lover, Dermot. Mm. Um, so so this in this poem, she says to Fionn, it's a bit, you know, it's uh, combative, um, she says, Phil dinne, frithm with a lom duerdurk, aradavran in mith nille, avak mwede, kid dubert. Um, now, so the wording of this uh, changes slightly from manuscript to manuscript, but mm. loosely, let's say it translates as, there's one upon whom I should gladly gaze, to whom I would give the whole world, O son of Mary, although it be an unequal bargain. And I think we've all been in relationships at one point or another where it's been an unequal bargain. Um, universal <laughs> theme. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Thanks it for uh, being so brave as well to read them out in uh, medieval Irish. That's oh, really no cool to hear, uh, you know, hear the sounds and uh, and the translation next to it. Very cool. Thanks, me. So those were your babies from the They country. were my babies. Yeah. Cool. And I, do, I, love, I love the idea of, you know, there's somebody upon whom I love to gaze because that's, yeah. that's how you feel when you fall in love first. You're just, you're staring. You just stare. Um, that's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, endless staring and gazing, and it mm. uh, gives you the same fuzzy feeling as you get from old Irish. If you want <laughs> old Irish. 
You love to gaze upon old Irish, so uh, I love it. Yes, <laughs> very there good. There is one upon whom I love to gaze. Yes. Just the best music you. <laughs> then I think this is a good time to move on to the yeah. next question, um, which I suppose um, I don't necessarily think every academic would feel a relation to this. So you're allowed to say no, okay. uh, but the question is. Um, or it's not really a question, it's more of a statement that I took from, I think, the commentary to the Fela um, Oingese, uh, where it is said to, I think, Madog, Kest, ni asin lehen tugashin. It is not from study that you thought that up. Uh, and what I kind of, I mean, I've taken it out of context, of course, this question, but what I kind of want to connect it with is does life outside of academia inspire you in re- your research because I know academics are sometimes painted to be these you know people that sit in their ivory tower and just with their books and they don't need any other friends because they have their books uh, but that's actually not uh, the image uh, the Im- image doesn't do justice to the community of academics uh, mm. I think at the moment or maybe at any time so is how does life outside of academia inspire you in your research? Or does it at all? It does. It does every day. So mm. like I think the thing about studying the humanities and language and culture and the language and culture of medieval Ireland while you're living in Ireland yes. is that you are constantly inspired and your cura- curiosity is always peaked. Um so you know, you're always asking, how did the Irish get to this point? Mm. Um how have we evolved, if at all? Uh, <laughs> how how have how have our manuscripts survived? Um, and also current events. Uh, so uh, some of the themes that we deal with are the same as those that are dealt with in medieval Ireland. You know, so yeah. um, uh, for example, what role did literature play? And I think that's really important. It, that's a, that's a really important question right now um, as funding is cut to the arts yes, and humanities yeah. and um, sometimes people don't consider literature as important as, mm. uh, as other things they, uh, like uh, like the sciences. Mm. Um, you know, was a poet or a scribe well paid? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was the position of women in society? Uh, what kind of social hierarchies existed in medieval Ireland mm. and what were the power structures? Um, so like in pre, pre-Norman invasion, what were the power structures? You know, so yeah, these are all yeah. questions that are as relevant today as they were a thousand years ago. And uh, the answers are in this huge body of literature. Yes, um, yeah. So it's in it's in the pro- poetry, it's in the prose, it's in our legal yeah. tracts, it's it's everywhere. So um, life in Ireland inspires me. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. <laughs> so you're not only uh, you've not only found your place in the type of research you do, but also geographically, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. uh, you're where you're supposed to be. <laughs> I feel I feel like it is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, excellent. Very good. Okay, so now that we've looked at your research, what you have been doing, how you came to be doing this, uh, let's try and look ahead uh, with the next question, uh, which is... To what place is your road? 
which I think is actually, you know, it's quite a literal translation, but I think it's actually a nice way of, uh, uh, of thinking about your path, I suppose, in life or the many paths that you can take. So what are your ideas for your own future, for the future of your research or maybe even the future of the field, if you want to think really big? That is big. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you don't have to have any thoughts on that. <laughs> I might go. Start I might small. go a little bit small. Yes. Yeah, I'll start small anyway. Um, so uh, you never know what the future holds when you're an academic um, uh, or, or a scholar. Uh, you never know where your funding is going to come from. Yes. Yet. <laughs> I know that's very crass, but it's true. Um, it is true, and it is something that we have to take into account because not yeah. everyone actually uh, is able to live on temporary contracts. Yeah. Uh, for a long time uh, exactly so, yeah yeah and it's, it's uh, an important issue yeah yeah um you know we do have an international network of friends uh in in our field and i feel very you know i feel close to uh all of our colleagues in different countries so mm -hmm. i would be happy to work in any any of the institutions um in europe or you or can't in the be UK. saying that after you've just <laughs> praised living in ireland as the most inspirational thing that could happen to you <laughs> well yeah well the dream would be to get a permanent position in yes. ireland <laughs> in an irish university but what i what i mean is you just you know yourself yes. you just don't know where you'll end up yeah yeah, yeah. um so I have a lot of little poems that I'd like to edit in my spare time, and oh, I'd excellent. love. Yeah. yeah, we've myself and uh, me all before have talked about how great it would be if there were a database of early Irish poetry. Mm. Um, so it would be great to get something like that going, but but I'll see. Um, and I've also been working on this long-term project on Edged in seventeen eighty-two right. that I'd like to see finished um yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's something as i say i've spent years working on and i'm not going to get to finish it while i'm at the institute i'm going mm. to have to do that afterwards or towards the end when yeah, i have this project yeah. finished yeah there are a lot of projects that actually need this long-term stability for them uh to be able well to be finished really um, yeah yeah because if you see jacopo's book that we were just referencing to um that's a project that it's been, I don't know, 10, 12 years in the making, mm. uh, which, which started with his PhD. So it kind of these big projects, they need the stability of, you know, a long term plan, I suppose, yes, <laughs> knowing where you are uh, in the long term. Yeah, exactly. Because you need to be able to put food in your belly and keep a roof over your head. That's it. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'd also I'd like to come back and publish my PhD. Um, oh, that would be great as well. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, it's it feels less pressing at the moment mm. because the text that I worked on is now available. Uh, <laughs> um. Uh, there's a new edition of it, um, which was published around the same time as I submitted my PhD. But yeah, so I'd like to I'd like to come back to that once I've finished my work on the commentary, yes. because uh, there's a lot of text in the commentary just simply hasn't been published, isn't available, and it mm. feels more pressing to get that out yes. now sooner yeah. rather than later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds good. So the next question uh, gives you the opportunity to nominate one of our colleagues for our next episodes and the question is Kesht in Vil Anamharalat do you have a soul friend uh, or I suppose a mentor or an inspiration 
uh, around you. Uh, so the Irish word used is anamchara, which is kind of a nice, nice word for that. So soul friend is usually translated. Um, so who would you like to nominate as your anamchara? So he's not he's not exactly my mentor, but he's somebody who inspires <laughs> me every day. And yeah. uh, uh, who uh, his passion for his subject um, is uh, is amazing. It's uh, you know an eternal flame. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, he's published a whole heap and he's really important to the uh, field of really modern Irish mm. and his name is Michal Hoyne Michal Hoyne <laughs> well there you go Michal I hope you're listening and you know you're up next <laughs> get prepared for a bunch of medieval Irish questions to be thrown your way <laughs> okay very good I think that kind of ramps up uh, the first podcast interview is there anything you would like to say that you haven't said or haven't been able to say or that you would like to add or well i, I always want to plug uh the old irish course the trinity college ship, because... ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if i can get a plug in i will because yes. it's, it's absolutely fantastic um often people forget that it's there yes <laughs> um, uh and yeah so, uh, it is amazing. Irish. I can actually uh, confirm this because, as Christina mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I came to Trinity College uh, Dublin in 2009, I think, as an Erasmus student from Utrecht. And I took courses uh, with the department with Professor Damien McManus and Dr. Jürgen Ulich, uh, and they were absolutely amazing courses. Uh, so, if you have any interest in this, do consider. Uh, and you want to go and study, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is always a good idea, I think. Please Absolutely. do consider uh, registering for the old Irish courses at the we department. We also do a uh, master's course as well. So we have an MPhil in early Irish if you've Ooh. already done a bit of old Irish. It only gets better. It yeah. only gets better. <laughs> um, and you can always uh, uh, get in contact with me. You can. I'm a, I'm a big tweeter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the Twitter sphere um, and I love chatting to people who cool. have an interest Where we, in can we find you on Twitter? What's your handle? Good question. What is my handle? <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to check now. It's uh, at C Cleary C-H. So there's, there's a bit of a story behind why my handle is like that. Right. Um, it's because when I, I'm so bad with technology that when I was signing up to Twitter, I thought I was putting in my email address. Oh, no way. <laughs> and it was actually my handle. So. Ah, interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's C, Cleary, C-H. Excellent. Yep. We'll all find you there. Okay, cool. Well, then I think that wraps it up. Thank you so much, Christina. For Amina Margaret, Walter Roth, and thank you for having me. Of course. Come when you got the animal sound, that's a bug and archie a moffy bug. Share the good you gown and the girl they get it. And the inferno and all the bunny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, Jesus 